Please open your Bibles to John chapter 3. This week, a friend of mine was working uh, with uh, their boss to uh, develop a new administrative procedure. And uh, as my friend put it, the boss was kind of going this way and I was kind of going that way and we weren't kind of coming together. To It wasn't that they were arguing, it was that they just couldn't get on the same wavelength, you know, as they were trying to figure this out. And after a while, the boss leaned back and went like this and said, oh, it's like trying to push a banana through a keyhole. I think that's how Jesus felt talking to Nicodemus. You'll see that here, I think, as we read this story from John 3, beginning at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these, the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has, under, has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Last week we met Nicodemus Nicodemus, and we listened as Jesus answered the question of his heart, which was, how can I get into God's kingdom? How can I know for certain that I'll be part of God's kingdom? Which is uh, synonymous with saying, how can I know for certain that I'm part of God's family, that I'm on my way to heaven when I die? How can I know that for certain? Jesus answered the question of his heart, even though Nicodemus didn't verbalize it. This week, we're going to hear Jesus explain what Nicodemus didn't understand about salvation. There's some things he didn't understand about how we come into God's kingdom. The first thing he didn't understand is in verses 4 through 7, and it's this. Salvation is spiritual. Salvation is spiritual. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus had just said to him, you must be born again. So Nicodemus is thinking, born again? I'm going to somehow become a a baby again? Or I'm going to enter into my mother's womb? Nicodemus was on a completely physical plane. He's thinking about salvation in physical ways. He's not thinking about it in spiritual ways a second birth in terms of a physical second birth does no good 
Reincarnation is a very popular ideology, a religion. Every time you're born, you, you come back as something a little bit better and something a little bit better, unless you've been bad in this life, and then I guess you come back as an Indianapolis colt or something. I don't know. <laughs> Reincarnation, if it were possible would do you no good because every time you're born, you'd be made of sinful human flesh or sinful dog flesh or you name it. The problem is not physical. The problem is spiritual. The Super Bowl is fast coming upon us. Believe me, we will find out what day it is and we will cancel everything we are doing on that Sunday. No, we won't do that. We all hope the Seahawks will be participating. Can I get a witness? Yes. Listen to this, though, from Tom Brady, who won a Super Bowl as a quarterback. Listen to what he said about his life. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and I still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean... Maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, isn't, this, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be, is it? Am I mistaken or is this guy at the top of our society in terms of what he's achieved? Now, maybe you're not a football fan, but this is a big deal. And he says, is this it? You know, I read the same thing, almost the same quote from Tom, I, was it uh, McMahon? can't remember, I think he played for, for Denver and he won a Super Bowl. He said, it's a, it's a, it's an imp-, he said I'm, I'm empty inside. You know why that is? Because humanly based achievement or humanly based reformation or change will never meet the needs of your soul. It, it's not possible Nicodemus is thinking human reformation, human change. Uh, he's thinking, uh, you know, I need to be a better person. Certainly that's, that's a big part of what being a Pharisee was all about. It was following the law perfectly. And he's thinking of a physical change. And Jesus is saying, no, Nicodemus, no. It's not a physical change. It is a spiritual change. It is a supernatural thing. Salvation isn't natural. It's supernatural. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is one of those verses that the commentators struggle and struggle with, and I did too. But I want to take a lesson from what is the obvious broad meaning of the passage. And by the way, the way it's written in Greek, it's written water and spirit. There's no definite article there. But what is Jesus trying to do? What is the big picture of what he's trying to get Nicodemus to understand? He's saying, look, Nicodemus, it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. And so he says, you have to be born... Earlier he said you have to be born from above or born again. Now he says you have to be born of water and spirit. What does that mean? I think he's harking back 
to a text from the Old Testament that Nicodemus would have known. He's called later on the teacher of Israel, as in one of the great teachers of Israel. He surely would have known these verses from Ezekiel. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. Because I think he knew what was in Nicodemus' heart and he knew how much he knew the scriptures and he said, Nicodemus, I'm talking about that thing that was prophesied in Ezekiel. God uses this idea of washing of water, not only here, but other places. The idea that God washes us clean from our sin when we accept Christ as our Savior. You want to know how to get rid of guilt? You want to know how to, how to be truly joyful, even though you've done some things that aren't right? It's through Christ. He's going to wash you clean. And then he's going to put his spirit within you, a new heart and a new spirit. I'll take out the heart of stone I'll put my spirit within you. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. When God's Holy Spirit comes into you, you are able to live the righteous life because the spirit is in there making it happen. Jesus says, Nicodemus, it's a spiritual thing. It's supernatural. It comes from God. It's not a physical thing. This was prophesied in the Old Testament and it was pictured in the baptism of John. You know, we asked the question, why did John baptize people? It wasn't Christian baptism. Well, we know that he baptized for repentance. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. These people were prepared for the ministry of Jesus because they'd already come up and said, I repent, I, I am a sinner, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I will live righteously by God's standard as revealed in the Old Testament. And then they were baptized to picture that washing of sin. It didn't actually wash their sin off. You don't get saved by going through baptism here. You get saved and then you show the picture of the washing away of your sins. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. I think Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, John the Baptist was my man, and you should have been baptized. You should have gone on with this message of repentance because it's what I've been talking about in the Old Testament, and it's what John came to prepare the way for. And then, of course, this, this idea of the washing in the Spirit is, is fulfilled in our salvation. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not us in our flesh doing good and having personal reformation, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is another word for born again. When you accept Christ as your Savior, when you say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me 
that he is the Savior, I am a sinner. When you do that, God washes away. He regenerates you. He makes you new by washing away your sin. And then he makes you new by putting the Holy Spirit within you. That's what Jesus was trying to get across to Nicodemus. He said it's, it's not natural, it's supernatural. And then the third thing that Jesus said is this, it's unnatural. Look, what he, look, look, look what, how Nicodemus responds, verse 6. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And, and he says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. See, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. When Jesus says now, don't marvel, here's what he's telling us. Nicodemus was dumbfounded. That, mer- that word marvel is like when you look at something and you're just going, I can't believe it. He was speechless. He didn't know what to say. Jesus says, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't marvel. One of the little phrases that applies to this that I hear today is people will say, that's crazy talk. And that's, that's what Nicodemus was thinking, and that's why Jesus says to him, listen, I know this is an unnatural thing. It's not something you can observe going on around you. Nicodemus had a fundamental problem in his understanding. He did not understand there is a fundamental difference between sinful human flesh and a perfectly righteous spirit God. And thus, there must be a fundamental change in us in order to become the children of God. If you're still on the outside of Christianity today, you are probably connecting with Nicodemus. You get him in a big-time way. You're looking at him going, yeah, man, born again? Yeah, I I don't understand that either. You may be marveling. You may be going, what? If you're a believer today, you need to really be following this interchange because we really get a glimpse inside of how people who don't know the Lord think. Some of us have known the Lord so long, we don't, we don't even have a concept of how odd or how unnatural this truth is. We're tempted to put on a t-shirt that says, it's a God thing, you wouldn't understand. Of course, that is not the right response. We need to follow Jesus' plan, Jesus' model for us, and keep patiently explaining the gospel truth. That's why we're preaching through the Gospel of John, so we can fully grasp the doctrine of salvation. So those of you that have never come to faith in Christ, those of you like Nicodemus, can understand it's a spiritual thing. Salvation is spiritual. The second thing that we want to understand about salvation from this text is this. Salvation is reliable. Reliable. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking very simply about how you know things. I think the fancy word today is, uh, ooh, what's the word for for how you know things? Uh, I want to say, what's that? 
Genosis, it's etiology, it's epistemology. There we go. Yeah, Tim, you're my man. All right. Epistemology. How do you know what's true? How do you know things? Jesus said, look, the wind blows, and nobody doubts that the wind exists, do you? I mean, you, you look outside. I mean, in the morning, I'll look out my window and see if the treetops are going like that. It helps me to judge how cold it's going to be outside. Now, what he says, now we have some kind of scientific understanding today, but ultimately, do we really understand the wind? No, but we can observe the wind. We see the effect of the wind on the trees or on the leaves. We feel the wind on our face. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you don't understand the wind, but you know that it's true. You know that it's, there's something there. One author put the comment this way, if the wind did not affect our senses, we should never know that it's blowing. If the Spirit did not produce reborn men, we should never know his presence and activity. See, there are people today, maybe you're one of them, who'd say, how do I know salvation is real? I think Nicodemus was one of those guys. He was saying, now, Jesus, you're, you're telling me I need to shift my whole life. How do I know this is real? He had said that, you know, he's marveling that Jesus says be born again. And Jesus said, look, the wind has an effect, and you don't doubt the existence of wind. So too, those who are born again, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Those who are born again show the impact of God in their life. I want to read kind of a long story to you. Kind of long for a quote, if you will, but it's taken out of a commentary on this text, and it's a story about Harry Ironside. Harry Ironside was a famous evangelist of his day. He would have been almost as well known as a Billy Graham or somebody like that in his day. And this is from an uh, autobiographical remembrance of his. Early in his ministry, the great evangelist and Bible teacher was living in the area of, San, of the San Francisco Bay, working with a group of believers called Brethren. One Sunday, as he was walking through the city, he came upon a group of Salvation Army workers who were holding a meeting on the corner of Market and Grant Avenues. There were probably 60 of them. When they recognized Dr. Iron, Ironside, they immediately asked him if he would not like to give his testimony. He did, giving a word about how God had saved him through faith in the bodily resurrection bodily death and literal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he was speaking, Ironside noticed that on the edge of the crowd there was a well-dressed man who had taken a card from his pocket and had written something on it. As Ironside finished his talk, this man came forward, lifted his hat, and very politely handed him the card. On the card was his name, which Ironside immediately recognized. And he doesn't name him here. I think he wants to be gracious. We're going to call him Mr. Jones. The man was one of the early socialists who had made a name for himself lecturing not only for socialism, but against Christianity. As Ironside turned the card over, he read, Sir, I challenge you to a debate with me the question, quote, agnosticism versus Christianity in the Academy of Sciences Hall next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. I will pay all expenses. Ironside reread the card aloud, aloud and then replied like this, I am very much interested in this challenge. Frankly, I am already scheduled for another meeting next Lord's Day at 3 o'clock, but I think it will be possible for me to get through with that in time to reach the Academy of Science Hall by 4. 
Therefore, I will be glad to agree to this debate on the following conditions. Namely, that in order to prove that Mr. Jones has something worth fighting for and worth debating about, he will promise to bring with him to the hall next Sunday two people whose qualifications I will give in a moment as proof that agnosticism is of real value in changing human lives and building true character. Agnosticism is the doctrine that we cannot know anything, therefore there is no God, there is no system of morality, and so on. First, he must promise to bring with him one man who was for years what we commonly call a down-and-outer. I am not particular as to the exact nature of the sins that had wrecked his life and made him an outcast from society, whether a drunkard or a criminal of some kind or a victim of his sensual appetite, but a man who for years was under the power of evil habits from which he could never deliver himself, but who on some occasion entered one of Mr. Jones's meetings and heard his glorification of agnosticism and his denunciations of the Bible and Christianity, and whose heart and mind as he listened to such an address were so deeply stirred that he went away from that meeting saying, henceforth I too am an agnostic. And as a result of imbibing that particular philosophy found that a new power had come into his life. The sins that he once loved he now hates and righteousness and goodness are now the ideals of his life. He is an entirely new man, a credit to himself and an asset to society, all because he is an agnostic. Secondly, I would like Mr. Jones to promise to bring with him one woman. And I think he may have more difficulty in finding the woman than the man who was once a poor, wrecked, characterless outcast, the slave of evil passions, and the victim of man's corrupt living, perhaps one who had lived for years in some evil resort, utterly lost, ruined, and wretched because of her life of sin. But this woman also entered a hall where Mr. Jones was loudly proclaiming his agnosticism and ridiculing the message of the scriptures. As she listened, hope was born in her heart, and she said, this is just what I need to deliver me from the slavery of sin. She followed the teaching and became an intelligent agnostic or infidel. As a result, her whole being revolted against the degradation of the life she had been living. She fled from the den of iniquity where she had been held captive so long. And today, rehabilitated, she has won her way back to an honored position in society and having a clean, virtuous, happy life, all because she is an agnostic. Now, he said, addressing the gentleman who had presented him with his card, if you will promise to bring these two people with you as examples of what agnosticism can do, I will promise to meet you at the hall at the hour appointed next Sunday, and I will bring with me at the very least 100 men and women who for years lived in just such a sinful degradation as I have tried to depict, but who have been gloriously saved through believing the gospel which you ridicule. I will have these men and women with me on the platform as witnesses to the miraculous saving power of Jesus Christ and as present day proof of the truth of the Bible. Ironside then turned to the Salvation Army captain, a girl, and said, Captain, have you any who could go with me to such a meeting? She exclaimed with enthusiasm, we can give you 40 at least just from this one corps and we will give you a brass band to lead the procession. <laughs> 
Fine, now, Mr. Jones, I will have no difficulty in picking up 60 others from the various missions, gospel halls, and evangelical churches of the city, and if you will promise faithfully to bring two such exhibits as I have described, I will come marching in the head of such a procession with the band playing Onward Christian Soldiers, and I will be ready for the debate. Apparently, the man who had made the challenge must have had some sense of humor, for he smiled wryly and waved his hand in a depreciating kind of way as if to say, nothing doing. And then he edged out of the crowd while the bystanders clapped for Dr. Ironside and the others. And the author notes here in this commentary, Christ changes lives. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, look, Nicodemus, You can't see the wind, but it's real, and you can't see the Spirit of God, but He's real, and He changes lives. And I know a number of your stories, and you could get up and say amen to that. That's what this is about. This is not about being religious. It's not about being a good person. It's not about personal transformation. It's not being the best you you can be. It's about being a new person in Christ. It's visible in effect. Secondly, it's consistent in God's plan. This was not some new idea that Jesus brought up at this point in time. We've already looked at that passage from Ezekiel. Jesus prophesied, this, or God prophesied this hundreds of years before this time. He said, look, this is what's coming. This is where I'm headed in this whole process of saving people. That's why Jesus expresses his frustration several times with the disciples that they don't grasp it, and yet he never gives up on them. It's consistent in God's plan. It's trustworthy in its source. Look at the source he labels here. Verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. I believe there that Jesus is talking in the plural because he's talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven. Jesus is citing this ascension into heaven as the primary means of knowing valid truth. Nobody has ascended into heaven except He who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man. That's Jesus talking about himself. Who is in heaven. Read that again real slow. No one has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Be saying, I'm the only guy on earth who has ever been in heaven and knows the real story. And not only that, but I am currently in heaven also. You say, wait a minute, Dave, you're getting really weird on me now. Did Jesus stop being omnipresent or everywhere present when he clothed himself in a human body and came to earth? No, he did not. And numbers of times we see that, how he sees things happening far away. 
He's not a human being that's just really the best human being there is. He is God in human flesh. And here he says, I, am not, I have not only come from heaven and taken on this human body so I can talk to you and shed blood for you, I am still in heaven. And I'm the guy telling you this is true. Now what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. What did Nicodemus call him when he came in? Look earlier in the text there. Verse one and verse two. He says, we know you are a teacher from where? From God. Because nobody can do the signs or the miracles that you do unless God is with him. Now would a godly teacher lie about what he's going to tell you? That is the ultimate question you have to ask about Jesus Christ. Was he a liar, or as some have said, he's either a liar or a lunatic or the Lord of the universe? Certainly there are people around us who, because of whatever thought process they have allowed to go on in their mind for years and years, they think things that are just crazy. And it's possible that Jesus was one of those. It's also possible he was lying. Now, hear me out. I'm, 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 saying, I'm looking at this as a human being. We have to allow that that's a possibility. But if you want to call Jesus a teacher sent from God, if you want to call him a prophet of God, as the Arabic people, the Muslim people do. They respect Jesus as a prophet of God. If you want to do that, then you have to say, was he lying right there when he said, you must be born again? Was he, did he suddenly go off his nut right there and now he says, you got to be born again? Or was he genuinely from God and when he says, you must be born again, then it means you must be born again. <laughs> That's a decision you have to make by faith. In your heart, God is trying to help you make it. That is the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. He may be prompting you right now to say, this is true. This makes sense. This is coming together in my mind. If that is the case, it is of God. Because no man comes to God by himself. Only if the Father draws him, Jesus says later in the Gospel of John. Salvation is spiritual. Salvation is reliable. And salvation is merciful. Look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 14 here, this idea of the serpent in the wilderness, uses an event from the time of the Exodus and the wilderness wilderings as the people of God left Egypt and made their way to Israel to the land of promise, they came to a point where because of their complaining, God sent fiery serpents among them to bite them with the end result of them dying. God was fed up with their complaining at that point, and so he said, I'm going to judge them right now. And they, as soon as the judgment started to happen, they said, oh, oh, oh. They ran up to Moses and said, we didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. Pray to God for us. So Moses talked to God, and God said, okay. If they're going to repent of their sin, I'm going to tell you, take some brass and make a serpent figure and put it on a pole and hold it up and tell the people, if they will look at that serpent, they will live. And so he did, and they did. And they were healed from the bite of these fiery serpents. Why does Jesus bring that 
story to bear on his crucifixion. Here's why. When Moses held that serpent up, did it have magic power coming out of the eyes so that when those people looked at it, they got healed? No. No. When he held that serpent up, did those people have to go touch the serpent? No. We could go on and on with that. Here's the simple truth. How did they get saved from their illness? By God's power. And the only thing they applied to get that was faith. They said, God told me to look, so I'm going to look. Don't you suppose those people were talking to each other going, I don't know why we have to look at that serpent. You know, I've seen snakes and I just don't think they can heal you. You better believe there was talk like that going on because they were human like us. They were sinners like us. I'm I'm just not going to do it. I just think there's got to be another way. God, God said, look and live. And so if they obeyed his command and by faith looked, they lived. That's what Je- Jesus is going, he's trying to push that banana through that, nut, that keyhole. He's going, Nicodemus, think back. Think back, you know this story from the Old Testament, Nicodemus. You've taught this to the children before. Remember how that happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did those people get healed, Nicodemus? Well, they just looked. Why did God heal them? Because he did what they said, and all he asked them to do was look. Oh. He said, I'm going to be lifted up. (laughs) Donald Gray Barnhouse, quoted in, in another book, says this. If the incident had been met after the fashion of our day, there would have been a rush to incorporate the society for the extermination of the fiery serpents, popularly known as SEFS. And there would have been badges for the coat lapel, cards for district workers, secretaries for the organization branches, pledge cards, and mass rallies. There would have been a publication office and a weekly journal telling of the progress of the work. There would have been photographs of heaps of serpents that had been killed by the faithful workers. The fact that the serpent had already infected their victims would have been played down, and the membership list would have been pushed to the utmost. How much is that like us? Folks, you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot make an organization to help take it away. This week, you, you may have noticed in the paper, perhaps on the, the uh, broadcast media, that there was a stampede of the, uh, the Muslim uh, pilgrims, they're called, as they make their pilgrimage. I believe a good Muslim is supposed to go to Mecca at least once in his lifetime. And they go to a certain place and they they walk a certain procession and they do certain things and it's part of their earning of salvation. The thing that caught my mind this way, I saw the article first of all and I went, no. And then the next day it was enlarged upon thousands of Muslims surging to complete a stoning ritual before sunset. Apparently they have to do this ritual before sunset and this is why they, they were all rushing to get the ritual done. Thursday, after some pilgrims tripped over dropped baggage, causing a pileup that killed at least 345 people, 
Saudi authorities have sought for years to ease the flow of the increasing crowds. Here's the deal. In the stoning ritual, all the pilgrims must pass a series of three pillars called Al-Jamarat, which represent the devil and which the faithful pelt with stones to purge themselves of sin. They pur- they're going to purge their sins by throwing stones at an idol of the devil. Folks, salvation is not given by merit. It is holy of God. You cannot purge your own sins. I believe these people are sincere. Somebody has convinced them they've got to do all of these things to earn salvation. But they're sincerely wrong. Salvation is not given by merit. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It is not given by merit. It is given by faith. It is given by faith. Look at verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the answer to Nicodemus's question in verse 9. In verse 9, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? How can this happen? Jesus says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus says the rebirth happens the same way the cure in the wilderness happened. The people in the wilderness did nothing to save themselves, and you can do nothing to save yourself, but God can do it for you. One author said this, man became lost, became a lost sinner by a look. Think about this. The woman, Eve, in the garden saw the tree that it was good for food, and so she ate of it and became a sinner. In like manner, the lost sinner is saved by a look at the Savior, by putting faith in Christ. The old hymn says, Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. It's recorded in His Word. Hallelujah. That you only have to look and live. You cannot earn your salvation, but thank God you can get it for free. And that's what baffles us so much. So many people, these millions, millions of of Muslim folks are willing to work to earn their salvation. God says, I'll give it to you for free. You need to admit you're a sinner, put your faith in Christ, and he will change your life. Almost everyone knows the difference between a believer and a skeptic, but I'm not sure that everyone knows the difference between an honest skeptic and a dishonest skeptic. I'm quoting now from an author named Boyce. An honest skeptic is one who may have doubts about certain truths or doctrines, but who will face up to them when he is presented with evidence and he will alter his life as a result. A dishonest skeptic is one who has doubts about truths or doctrines, but who will not face up to the evidence. Thus, when he is blasted out of one foxhole of disbelief, he will immediately take refuge in a second. 
And if he's blasted out of that foxhole, he will begin to look around for a third. I want to ask you today, are you an honest skeptic or a dishonest one? God gives us his truth. He explains it. He makes it clear and plain. And if you are taking refuge in some other argument, some other argument, some other argument, then you, plain, don't want to believe. You're not trying to believe. Christian friend, do you realize that a key part of our job in helping others become disciples is explaining the gospel facts as Jesus did? And sometimes it doesn't come easily. I mean, Jesus is teaching this truth to Nicodemus, and it's taking him some time. In your bulletin, there's a pink card like this. It's another one. We've been putting them in there for the last couple of weeks. I want to ask you if you are praying for people who don't know Christ, and if you are praying for yourself, that you might learn this truth from the Gospel of John so that you might be able to sit with them and explain it to them. Now you can't, ultimately you can't, you can't explain how God causes somebody to be born again, but you can give your witness, which is here's the effect in my life. Do you know this banquet is, is not going to be the end of a process of sharing the gospel? It's the beginning. Call me a person of little faith. I don't expect a lot of people to get saved at this banquet. Maybe none. That's not the point. The point is to share the gospel. The point is to push you and to push me to get up front enough to say, friend, I got something wonderful I'd like to talk to you about. We're going to talk about it at this lovely banquet. going to be a lovely meal. going to be some folks singing. going to be some folks sharing about the effect of God in their life. And then when you go home is when the work really will begin when you pick up the Gospel of John and say, hey, could we talk about this? Have you been born again? Heavenly Father, help us. If there are people here who have never put their faith in Christ, open their eyes today, open their ears, open their heart. Maybe there are people who think like Nicodemus, that they're on the right path, but it's really just one of personal reformation. It's not one of new birth father open their eyes today and help them to be courageous enough to say yes i need to do that i need to put my faith in christ i need to admit that i'm a sinner i will not let my pride stand in my way no matter what anybody else thinks of me maybe i claimed to be a christian years ago and people might laugh at me doesn't matter the angels of heaven will sing and we will too father help them to put their faith in you and Father, help those of us who know you to be diligent, diligent evangelists, patiently teaching, witnessing, sharing, waiting for your time to receive the harvest. I pray in Christ's name, amen.